welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear stories of someone brave enough to bear it all. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Today I have coaching session two with Joshua Shea. Josh, jump in. All right. Well, I thank you for inviting me back. Um, unfortunately, for people who are watching and following, uh, we had more than one week between us. I had a death in the family. So this is two weeks instead of one. I normally like to talk to people every week. Uh, but that has given you uh, a chance to reflect a little longer about the things we talked about. For those who didn't see the first episode, what we really did was take a step-by-step -step look at the major relationships you've had in your life and how uh, both pornography and sexuality have played roles in them. Um, ha having two weeks to look back upon it, uh, has there been any um, patterns that emerged you didn't think of or have there been any aha moments or did you try to just file it away and not think about it i didn't try to file it away but you know i think first i read your book which i rarely have the time to read a guest's book before their regular interview right. i tend to do like i i'm trying to get everyone's book that has been a guest on my show and read them but Yours is the only one I've read before. And like I said, you know, when I read the book, it was amazing, but I also was like, huh, that's interesting because in a situation where I wouldn't have thought I fit in, I wasn't one of the, the audience, right? Yeah. Um, and I was, so I think my biggest aha moments came from that. And then we had your interview and we chatted back and forth and I, I think the biggest thing is I probably do have patterns that I'm not aware of. I think we all do. Um, and I absolutely believe we all have patterns. The other thing is that, you know, when we emailed, I, I'm not trying to be in denial. I don't have malicious intent, but I think the biggest thing that I have considered is what was my part in this? What could I have recognized at the time, which I never did. I never did till I read your book. So this is, massive hindsight. I haven't, the last person that I was with that had an issue was over seven years ago. We haven't been together for over seven years. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a lot of hindsight. How could I have recognized it? How could I have handled it? What was in my communication or why I chose certain people? Was that my pattern? So I kind of just have been more introspective about feeling bad at not understanding what my part was in it and how I could have done it better. Do you feel that um, there is no possible way that your current partner um, is exhibiting or, or is hiding anything when it comes to these types of things? You, you mentioned that you've missed it several times. Um, what makes you believe that you are not missing it this time? I think I know your answer is what, what it is. So I'd, I guess I'd ask you, what makes you think you're not missing it this time? We've had actual conversations prior to your book, definitely more after because now it's a topic of conversation where I was like, what is my part? And so I think I know how I feel about porn. Some of it doesn't bother me. Some of it I kind of like if you're visual um i don't need it i don't think about it every once in a while if it comes up and it's interesting i think it's more curiosity and also i'm 49 so and he's you know i mean we're in our 40s and so i think things do shift a little as you kind of grow up and become an adult where he's had the same or similar experiences. It's not like he's never looked at or doesn't know what it is. Right. He's not an idiot. Yes, he's done. Yes, it was fun. Yeah, there were threesomes back in college. You know, I mean, I think things that are not abnormal in sexuality have occurred in the past and it, he's kind of in the same place. We don't really need it. Um, it's not something that is enriching our lives. And so, um, no, I think he's asked, he's definitely been more curious about my past with pornography. We've always both been kind of up front. And you know, one thing I learned from being married and then getting a divorce is you can almost live a double life and the person yeah. doesn't know. Right. I think we're both, you know, he was married and divorced and married and she died. And um, 
you realize in situations in life growing up that there's a lot that you don't know um, about the other person. I think that that's sad and I'm not trying to hide anything, but I know that it's possible. So am I 100%? No. Is it an issue? No. Do we have conversations? Yes. I don't know. We talked the last time about you know, did I have, do we have convers, did I have conversations with them? Yeah. But some of it was so much later. It was like after the relationship or if it was during the relationship, the conversations didn't go anywhere. Um, and you've expressed that too. Like if you wanted to hide something, you could, or dumb it down or deflect or be put the person on the defensive. So I've had several of those experiences where, um, I did bring it up in a relationship and it's been deflected or put me on the defensive and I didn't realize it was as big of an issue as it was. So I guess, I mean, the super long answer here now is he could be hiding it. I don't think he is because we have open conversations any more than I believe he thinks I'm hiding it. Yeah. I think, you know, we are normal human beings who have experienced things and have had curiosities and don't really care. When uh, when was the first time that you personally saw pornography in your life? I was 19. It was with the man that I first married and he wanted, he showed me and he showed me and he told me that he liked it. Was it uh, softcore stuff or hardcore stuff? The first movie I ever saw was Deep Throat. Okay. You mentioned that the last yeah. time. Uh, Not a good one to start on if you're new. Right. Right, right. It, it's, it's pretty extreme. Were you uh, revolted by it, turned on by it? Uh, what, what were your emotions at the time when you were watching it? And then also, what were they after the point as you processed what you saw? The very first time I was a little revolted. Um, you know, I mean, I was 19 and I'm 49. So my recollection is that I felt like it was demeaning to women. Had you already had sex at that point? Oh yeah. Okay. And he and I had had sex. I think he was bringing that on to like, you know, amp up the sex or, you know, bring something else on board. We'd been together for less than nine months or right around there. And so I, I think I was confused as why we needed something at that point. I didn't, and I had no experience with it. Uh, after seeing it, I felt like I, I didn't did, need it. Did, well, did you really, did he uh, intimate that this was to be a marital aid of sorts? Or have you come to this conclusion after the fact? Because you, you say that you were uh, um, you know, kind of disgusted by it. It seemed somewhat That degrading. one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in, in the moment, is it only after the fact that you think he introduced it this way? I mean, in, in the moment, what did you think his his goal was no he was he was open he said that he really enjoyed it and he wanted to do it was something that he wanted to do together or use together as an enhancement thing or as something fun or as something different i mean it's kind of like if you bring on a sex toy or something else you know it's just adding something spunky to the situation to change it or make it better or whatever so um yeah i knew immediately and that's part of why i was like this is not the thing that's gonna make things better or bring us closer like i don't need to ever see that again so the next did you you share that with him yeah 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 i did not like that um and so he and again if you're experienced with porn and you know that someone is not regardless male female like break them in slowly you know um but then he dialed it back and i don't remember the other movies that we saw the next thing that i can i know that every once in a while he would try something and this is in 1990 89 90 right around there we don't we didn't have like internet where we could stream anything so you're going in the back room getting a video type thing um and then the next thing that he purchased was playboy put out a massage video that would have been a great place to start because it was at least under the disguise of giving each other massages. Yes. The people were both naked. Yes. I mean, so it was really soft. Yeah. yeah. I would think actually it probably was rated higher than R, but really we see some of the same types of things in an R rated movie. So it was really soft. And that, I mean, that was, um, 
not nearly as bad because I'm learning how to give a massage too. So it was sort of hidden. The yeah. pornography aspect was sort of hidden and that didn't really bother me. I would guess that uh, most people, and we're, we're, we're about five years apart, um, most people, including women, saw pornography before 19 years old um, mm. of our generation. What, why do you think you didn't see it that long? Did you actively avoid it? Did you not have anybody try to present it to you? You yeah. mentioned in the past that you didn't date a whole lot. Um, mm. But I'm curious how someone who now says that they are a very sexual person goes almost two decades at the beginning of their life without seeing this. I didn't really know. I, I mean, I just don't think it was ever on my radar. I also grew up in a house that was dysfunctional sexually. So, you know, my mom had partners who were, in her words, are called dangerous men. You know, they put her in danger. They put us in danger. I was molested. My, I, I think I was exposed enough that I was a little afraid of just the whole sex in general. I knew a lot about it. I knew the mechanics of it. Uh, it was, I was not innocent in that way, but you know, being close to someone or being intimate or sharing myself, I was a little fearful of that. I was, I think I was keeping it at arm's bay. And then I lost my virginity to date rape. And it was between my junior and senior year of high school. So when that happened, I thought, and I, I really felt I had this part of me that wanted to save that because it was something special. So right. in my mind, you know, the, the first time should be something special. Um, and you don't just give it away. And I wanted to pick who, what, when, where, how sort of thing. Like, and I wanted, I wanted it to be somebody that I loved. When that, when I felt like that was taken from me, um, I slept with seven people in rapid succession. I mean, I, I was like, uh, well, screw it. If people, if I, if I don't have my first time anymore, start taking prisoners. And I started a dysfunctional pattern of my own. And when I went to my first year of college, I realized this is not a pattern. I, this isn't something that I want to continue to do. I'm not getting anything out of it. I'd never had an orgasm. I, uh, I'm not happy. Um, I'm proving what I think that that's all men want, you know, because I'm, I'm setting it up. So I think I was in a very different headspace. Pornography was not even on my radar. I don't even know how much I understood about that it was out there and what it was. I had never seen a magazine, but I was raised by my mom and the partners that she was with. And it wasn't like I found my dad's magazine under the bed or, so, you know, I didn't have those experiences. So. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'll stress here, as I do with uh, anybody that I work with, if I ask anything that gets too deep, too personal, too uh, uh, painful, just tell me you want to back off, um, because this is, you know, supposed to be, uh, you know, a, a comfortable type thing. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe not comfortable, challenging, but not impossible. Right. Uh, Looking at the fact that you were molested, mm -hmm. looking at the fact that you lost your virginity to date rape, mm -hmm. looking at the fact that you were promiscuous very quickly after that yep. point, uh, when you saw pornography for the first time, did it bring back these memories? Did it bring, you know, did it, you said you were repulsed and you were, uh, you know, turned off and it kind of made you see that the people were used. Mm -hmm. Did you identify in that way at all, do you think? It's possible. And you know, this is something that um, I don't always know how to answer. I, I did do energy work and I did go to therapy. So when I realized my own destructive pattern sexually, and that that wasn't the, it wasn't who I wanted to be. That wasn't the way I wanted to live my life. You know, you start thinking about pregnancy or STDs or whatever. I, I actually got help. So I think I did the things and I've been asked like, you know, how hard was it to realize you enjoyed sex and be very sexual and like it coming from that? Well, it, that it isn't that the same as pornography isn't like real sex. Being molested and rape is not real sex either. And I, I did spend quite a bit of time going through what I felt like I needed to go through. And it was, it's a big deal. Cause you're thinking 1989, like the guy's the stud, the girl's the slut. And so there were those stigmas, 
just to enjoy sex period with no baggage. And then there was getting through the baggage. And I would have to say the thing that worked the best for me is when I'm in my bedroom and that door's closed, the memories of the things that happened to me that are dysfunctional don't belong in this room. So when I first started out, it was like set a chair outside the bedroom and that is where that person belongs. So I could walk into the room and shut the door and enjoy it and not feel like, am I enjoying this because I was molested as a kid? No, I'm not enjoying it because I was molested. I'm enjoying it despite the fact that I was and that I was raped and that I actually worked through that. Could the first porn that I saw trigger some of the feelings that I had of being worthless or used or not wanted? Yeah, quite possibly they could have. I, I And I don't remember... 30 years ago, if those were the feelings that went through my head, but quite possibly, because I can tell you right now, that's not what I want to see right now. Right. Well, I was going to say, you, you, to start off uh, talking, you mentioned that you still occasionally will see porn. It's Mm -hmm. not a big deal. How do you think you came from a place of 30 years ago where it was a uh, disgusting thing to now where obviously you're not seeking it out? but right. um, you seem to have a bit of a uh, take it or leave it attitude. Um, how do you think that evolved? I, I think as far as a take it or leave it, if I was with someone who really wanted, I wanted to watch it, I would quite possibly, at least over time, have an issue with it. I still don't think, I think there's a lot of things you can do as a couple without porn or outside of porn to keep a very long-term relationship kind of spicy and fun. Um, I love knowing the person that I'm with and knowing what to expect. And, you know, I, like that's, that is the turn on for me um, is that it's the same person every single time. It, so I don't know that my reaction would be positive if I was with someone who wanted to use it on any regular basis. I don't, I don't think that, I think my, I would feel the same way. That's not something I want um, because I don't, I'm, I think you see it for what it is. One you know, it's fake. I remember learning what a fluffer was. Yeah. I mean, like I had no clue, right? For years and years and years, and someone said something about a fluffer and I was like, no idea. And they told me, and I'm like, you're kidding. And I think when you step back, like any movie, okay, I think Keanu Reeves is great, but I've never met him. So maybe right. if I met him, he wouldn't be that great. Like I, right. I know he's good at his job is what I right. know. I think you give it the space and the bandwidth that it deserves. And porn is like people faking it, not what real life is. It's specific things in that turn people on, whether it's an S&M or a threesome or like whatever, whatever the genre is. If that's what my kick is, then that's what I'm going to watch. And um, it's, it's sort of amusing and humorous. And, you know, I mean... If you look at a scene now, I'm like, I probably needed a fluffer in the middle of that one. You know, just it's, it's more, it's less of a turn on and more of just really generally bad acting. And so I, I think once you see it, what's more of a turn on is like, um, and I, I used to train parents to take foster kids. So you wouldn't think that this is a correlation, but with sex trafficking and the level of molestation, and I was working with treatment level kids, which are like the toughest, they've been through the most. Yeah. So I had to teach, like this is what some of these kids have gone through. So I remember I did a search of like the most watched R-rated sex scenes in that demographic. And I was surprised because these are just R-rated sex scenes, top watched, whatever, um, to show these parents, like, this is just an R-rated sex scene. These are the 10 top, I mean, it's not even, wouldn't be considered that big of a deal compared to porn. This isn't even porn. And this is what these, these kids have been molested and raped and sex trafficked and in super dysfunctional situations. And, um, but the R-rated sex scenes would probably they would definitely be more of a turn on than porn would be because I think that they're portrayed a little bit more realistically. Production value and the the whole thing, better actors, better actors. Right. I mean, yeah. yeah. So Reese Witherspoon on a Ferris wheel, whatever is going to be a better scene for me and leaving a little to the imagination in my mind is a lot sexier than the blatant forceful, sex sexuality pornography 
So I think you start to know what your flavor is too. And I'm, I've never needed more and more and more to get to that same place. Um, I like the, I like knowing the partner and what's kind of what we're about and what we're going to do and what we like between each other. So, um, I think you just put it in its place. If, if you were going to describe how your, uh, sexuality evolved, mm -hmm. um, over the last 30 years, um, with the different men, with just, you know, becoming more mature and aging and the experiences of life, um, what do you see that evolution as? That's an interesting question. Um, I think I had to heal first and then decide I was comfortable enjoying sex and then comfortable saying what I wanted. So I think that was probably all early on. I mean, despite the fact that there was porn in my first relationship, it was, uh, sexually, it was a good relationship you know, I, and like I said, until your book, I never looked back and thought well, that was really screwing things up. We were great friends. We had a, I mean, it really, there was nothing bad about the experience at all. I was never made to feel uncomfortable or self-conscious, um, or do something that I didn't want to do. So I, I think I was comfortable enough and I was inexperienced enough that I started to feel comfortable asking what I wanted or saying what I liked or, um, yeah, I would like to try that because when you're really comfortable emotionally in a relationship, sex isn't as scary. So that was something I had to learn. And once I hit that point, I I was never willing to not be comfortable in a situation. I know that I could be forced in a situation that makes me uncomfortable, but outside of losing the ability to say no, which has never happened since, but I know from my past that it's possible, then I, you know, we it should be, you should have control over whether or not you're comfortable and how good you feel. And like, maybe you're sick one day or whatever. I was pregnant or, you know, and so I've never felt uncomfortable. And I think that's incredibly empowering. You uh, mentioned in one of the emails to me when we first started talking about doing this, that you have sex three to five times a week. Is that still yeah. correct? Yeah. Uh, um, the reality is looking at different reports that people, and I know you're not there yet, but people who are 50 years old um, or, or older, 50 to 60 years old, average sex less than one time per week. Why yeah. do you think you're different? I don't know. I mean, I run three times a week and exercise every day. And I know statistically I'm not normal for that either. Um, I cook dinner every single night. I know statistically that's not normal either. Like for 28 years, I've cooked dinner every night. So I, I mean, I don't know that I have the answer to any of those. I know that I know what I like. I know what I'm comfortable with. I know what feels good. I know that I have control. If I didn't want it, it would be completely fine. Uh, I don't know. I mean, what I statistically, I actually thought it was low, would have been lower than that. And I'm sliding into 50 this year. I think people probably slow down. I'm actually really surprised by the statistic because women that hit, you know, we hit the age of, I don't know, like 40 ish where we're generally done having kids. So honestly we feel better physically. We've gotten a handle on our body, our cycles, whatever. I mean, I had a hysterectomy at 33, so I was different. I haven't had a cycle in like 16 years. Whatever. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think we get more empowered financially. We feel better uh, in our relationships. We feel better. Like you look at all these other statistics, especially for women from 40 up. And I would think that that would be the time they'd be having sex more, not less. So I'm surprised by that. Um, but I don't know why I'm different. One, one of the quotes you had uh, was that I felt like something was wrong with me when I have a partner who's not as interested mm -hmm. in sex as I am. Is that in retrospect or is that in the moment? That was in the moment. I felt rejected. I think when I'm in a relationship and it's monogamous and like you and I could be really good friends, but my conversations with you don't impact my life, right? You could be my best friend since high school and I'm not having sex with you. And like, there's some differences between like my best friend who's a woman and my partner. 
where those conversations do affect us and he's the only one I'm having sex with. And so um, that that's such a special intimate relationship with that one person that when I reached out to want it and was turned down, not once, I'm not talking today, like when it regularly occurs, when we're going a couple of weeks without having sex or like several weeks. Um, and I say, you know, I, I'm interested in this, or I'd like to, or you snuggle up in bed and I make that move. It feels like rejection from the only person that I'm asking. And the, you know, I, so at, in the moment, I definitely felt hurt and rejected and wondered if that person was less attracted to me or if there was, I'm unique that that monogamous long-term relationship is part of what I think is the sexiest part. You know, that is the turn on, that is a big part of the turn on. Are they bored? Is it the same person and the same thing? I did every time try to have a conversation about it, but again, you know, you can't, I can do my part and that doesn't mean anything's going to happen. But yeah, in the moment I felt rejected. Right. Uh, understandable. Um, in these times where you felt rejected or there was actually less intercourse, uh, did you masturbate or feel or have uh, more frequent uh, self-pleasure? Um, did you need that ultimate orgasm or did you need the uh, that piece of sexuality in your life? And if he wasn't willing to participate, you could go solo? I didn't in the beginning. I wasn't I was just gonna say I wasn't good at it. I hadn't ex explored that very often. And like, I never used a vibrator until 14 years ago. I, I just, I, and I wasn't opposed to it. It just was never something that came up and I didn't know that much about them and I didn't feel like I needed them. So less frequently, yes, the orgasm for me is a big part of it. I like the physical release. I like the emotional release. So that is a component of why I want sex. I actually feel a sex drive it's not just the intimacy and the closeness although orgasms are much better with the other person i think about 14 years ago when my second marriage ended um that's where i became like i ordered my first vibrator i'm like you know what <laughs> i'm i'm not with anyone i do i am i'm gonna explore a little bit of things that i'm curious about that i that i wasn't able to be that my ex-husband wasn't open with uh, and that first relationship was three years and he probably would have been fine with it. It, it honestly just never came up in the second relationship. It kind of came up, but he was uncomfortable with it. And, um, I didn't really care. I mean, I didn't know what I was missing out on. It wasn't a big deal, right. but when that relationship ended and it had been, uh, like sexually a, a lot of dry spells, I bought my first vibrator. So now, since then, I am more aware and I will self-pleasure. And it's not as, it's not as good. It's not and, what I want. Right, right. And you don't use visual aids for that? No. I don't know what men are like or what other women are like, but self-pleasure is the fastest, easiest thing. Like, done. It's not that strong. Right. It, it, it kind of takes the edge off. Um, it feels good. It's, it's like apples and oranges compared to sex. Um, it's not ultimately what I want, but if I feel a lot of sexual energy within myself, then yes, I will take the edge off. So, but that, I mean, again, I was like halfway through this last 30 years before I even, I, I knew I could give myself an orgasm before that, but it wasn't something that I really did. Uh Changing gears kind yeah. of complete, completely here and, 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 and still not because you'll see where I'm going with this okay. eventually. Um, how did you, you had, uh, what, 76 children at one point? Um, <laughs> I have 18 children total, <laughs> only 18. You make it sound like no big deal. Yeah. Uh, I've had as, as many as 12 in the house at once. How did you deal with them at the age when they were beginning to explore their sexuality, whether they were sneaking pornography or fooling around with a boyfriend or girlfriend. But, you know, you get to that age, 12, 13, 14, you start to wonder things, 15, 16, you start to do things. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how did you handle it? What was your explanation? Having grown up in such a dysfunctional environment and probably not getting the proper uh, I don't want to say instruction, but the proper guidance. Right. 
what what was your rap like to them? I, I think in every subject and conversation, I've been really open. Also, I was in a unique situation. My kids kind of grew up with me doing foster care. So we had conversations about what kids have gone through. Um, they've been to some of my classes where I was teaching. So my kids grew up in a different environment that was more open and more in a, a teaching atmosphere. So I'm teaching about sex trafficking, suicide awareness. I mean, there, there's a whole bunch of things that are uncomfortable for parents to talk about with kids. And I was not uncomfortable about talking about any of that. So I think I had a more open, you can be curious and ask me questions. There's no dumb question. Also, I have 12 girls and six boys, so definitely skewed on the side of girls. I'm very comfortable with my body. I was a runner, so I'm in like tank tops and running shorts. Um, I wanted my girls to be comfortable with their bodies. If they came in my room in my bathroom and I'm showering, I'm clearly naked. There was, it wasn't like a real closed off private. It wasn't exhibitionist either. But like if you're in my bedroom and bathroom and come to talk to me, I am naked in my shower. Um, so you know, I mean, I breastfed my younger kids. I, I, like I said, there was no exhibition, but it was uh, healthy oh, awareness. Oh, you breastfed openly in front of the others. Yeah. But I mean, it wasn't like my shirt's off in my right, boot. No, no, yeah. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. Right. But so my, you isolate yourself in a room and hide in a corner. No, I was a lactation consultant. So I'm helping other moms. I taught childbirth education classes. So my kids were brought up in a, a very, in an environment where I hope that there was never a stupid question. You could always ask a question. It didn't have to be, it maybe was uncomfortable. So also we're having conversations about periods and, you know, the boys that I had were all pretty close in age and, you know, this is what a tampon is. And no, your sister doesn't have the right to be a bitch to you because she has PMS, but these are the things that are happening and you guys are going through some of the same stuff. So it was more open conversation which was great because they could ask me anything and they did. I mean, they asked me questions that were, it wasn't necessarily conversations that as a mom, you're like, yeah, let's have this conversation about your first sexual experience and why you need KY, you know, like yeah. it was not. I was also the mom that said, when you decide to be sexually active, I hope you wait, but I don't have control over that. So when you decide I, want you to choose who it is, when it is, where it is. I don't ever want you to be uncomfortable. I would rather have you um, have condom than not. And as soon as I was aware that they were sexually active and almost all of them came and talked to me about it um, after their first time. And we would go to the OBGYN because the only thing that I cannot control, I'm not pro having sex, but I'm I'm not pro teenage pregnancy either. Right. So if you're sexually active, we're going to go to the OBGYN. I would love if you're okay with me being in the room with you, but if that makes you uncomfortable, I understand. Every one of them wanted me in the room with them. I mean, I'm older, I ask a lot of questions and you're, you're going to, if, if you're comfortable having a boy put his dick in you, literally, I mean, I know this is crass but no, I, I, I know how it works yeah no yeah i mean if you're comfortable with that then you're going to be comfortable in the OBGYN's office you can't sit there and be like yeah but i don't want to and it's going to be so awkward well we've we're, we've arrived at this awkward place and so this is you thinking that you can act like an adult and needing to be responsible so all of my girls when they were sexually active were on birth control and i let them know that that just protects you from pregnancy right so please use a condom um so it was open. I wanted them to have healthy sexualities. They knew that, I mean, they knew that a lot of people don't have that. Uh, out of the 12, do you think that they all achieved that? It seems like statistically that would be almost impossible, well, no matter what your uh, yeah. influence is that, you know. I have. Um, and, and I'm sure people, 12 different kids, 12 different experiences, yeah. some react very positively to what you, you know, did and some maybe whether they expressed it or not had reservations on, on sure did. yes and um so i'd have to say um one of them didn't have great you know if i go down the list you know she didn't have a great experience and was pregnant at 16 had a baby at 17 and decided to keep the baby um and i think that's an area that she's always struggled with in long-term, but I had her in long-term foster care, but she can talk to me about it. 
Um, another, I think most of the kids, if as I'm scanning, like I have to scan down the list right. of kids. Yes, positive experience. <laughs> positive experience at 16 or 17 doesn't equate to good sex, but right. it means it wasn't a traumatic experience. Right. Um, ask, you know, those two ask lots of questions. Um, I've had kids that have not had good sexual experiences and didn't come to me right away, but did eventually come to me and talk about it. And then we could have a conversation about healthy sexual experience. Um, one of my girls was like, it hurts every time. And I'm like, let me guess, let me just set the stage. You know, you get home from school, you have your boyfriend, he's not supposed to be in the house. You're in the bathroom having sex. You don't even know what the word foreplay means. So there is none. You're trying to hurry up because you don't know you're listening for the car in the driveway and it's not particularly very great for you. And you know, they're like, how do you know? Like, I'm not an idiot. I know. So you need to either stop doing it that way and take a little more time or you need to use lube because sex shouldn't be painful. So it's those conversations when they've come to me and, you know, then I leave the room and I'm like, (laughs) but look, I don't love that they're having sex and I don't love that they're not having great experiences, but I wanted to have, when they were having sex, I want them to be the smartest, most empowered, badass young women that they could be that didn't take shit from anyone. Looking at the boys, um, was pornography talked about? Was it part mm-hmm. of their, uh, what was what was the situation, atmosphere in your home when it came to uh, pornography with the, with the boys? I mean, I think the pornography was the same with anybody. You're gonna find stuff on TV and I'm happy to talk about it. The boys were less comfortable. I had a computer that crashed and I'm thinking like disneyprincesses.com shouldn't be crashing my computer, you know? So I looked at Google searches and there was some triple X hamster something. And I kind of put it all together and realized what happened. And so we had a really open conversation where I was like, look, this, it's normal to be curious, but pornography is not normal sex. So if that's where you're getting your education and thinking and you ever treat a girl that way, we're gonna have a major problem because that's not how you treat a girl. And I've looked at the search and I, 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 I'm not judging that you looked at it. I'm not judge. I'm pissed that you crashed my computer, but I, I get the curiosity behind it, but it's more that it's not what's normal. And we've had out of those six boys, three of them, three out of the six boys. So 50%, we've had to have a real tough conversation about pornography and what's normal because I saw what they were searching. So the girls, I've never caught them searching anything that was uh, pornography. Not that they didn't, but with three out of six of the boys I did. And we had a, a very real conversation. And I said, I am, I understand you're a boy and I'm a girl. I have no discomfort in this conversation. I'm not angry, but I do want to have a conversation about what, what realistic sexuality is and what you're searching is not realistic sexuality, because that's going to set you on a path of thinking that it is a certain way when it's not or putting ideas in your mind. And so we had conversations. If you would be more comfortable talking to your dad about this, that's fine. I'm not uncomfortable talking about it. So, I mean, basically all you can do as a parent is when anything comes up, you know, anytime anything comes up from the outside and you have an opportunity to talk about it or something comes up within your home and you have an opportunity to talk about it, I think it's a good idea to take the opportunity to talk about it. Um, In our emails, um, one of the things that you said several times, and I actually brought this up to you, um, was that you mentioned several times uh, how attractive you think you are, um, or that you mentioned you were attractive, and um, I I found that out of place a little bit. Um, and I'm that, curious, that's my I'm own curious baggage. Looking, yeah, I'm curious. Looking back, mm-hmm. um, do you do you have any uh, reason why you share that opinion? I think I'm super smart, but I don't tell people. I think because we were talking, (laughs) I think we were talking about it. um, And yes, it is attached because you would, the belief would be that I would have less, if you're attractive, would you have less of a chance of someone finding you unattractive? I think my point is that doesn't make any difference. So, I mean, the reality is I'm five, nine, I modeled. And I've always been a size four. Cool. 
okay, the only thing that that means is that I'm, that doesn't say, it doesn't mean that I have a better job or I get paid more or I've had a more successful relationship or those men didn't want me or that they wouldn't prefer pornography. It has no, it makes no difference. It makes no difference. I was a woman who stayed in good shape and wanted to have sex and it didn't make a difference. That did not make a difference in the success of my relationship or in the use of pornography. Did you want to stay in good shape to remain attractive for them? So you were desirable toward, they would see you as more desirable? Did you fear letting yourself go and, and, and seeing what seems like a late uh, life shift towards a more active sexuality uh, be somehow uh, hurt if you were not desirable? That's a great question. I stayed in shape and eating healthy and all that was so important to me because my mom had an addiction with food and she yo-yoed her weight so much. And in my mind, depression and addiction and food and weight were kind of tied together for her. And actually, I just didn't want that to be my story. So that's actually how it started. I also came from a household where she didn't like to cook. So I got out on my own at 17 and had to learn, you know, you put on the college 15 and you have to figure stuff out and what's healthy and what does that look like? This is before the internet. Um, how do you stay in shape? All of that stuff. So in 1988, it was me trying to figure it all out because I just didn't want to have the same story. And then it was more important for me to stay in shape. I wanted to be a good example for my kids because I didn't have a good example. And I wanted to stay in shape because I felt so good. So it actually didn't have anything to do. We had a neighbor once um, that said, how do you get your, we were dating, I was dating someone. And he said, how do you get your girlfriend to stay in good shape? Cause my girlfriend moved in and let herself go. And he went, I don't get her to stay in shape. And I remember hearing that and just bristling, like it isn't about that. And you're out of shape also. So I, I, it, and he said, she does it cause it feels good to her. And if I like it, that's icing on the cake. And that is very accurate how I felt. Yes. I do want my partner to feel I'm attractive, but I wanted them to feel like that when I was 40, two weeks pregnant and post having a baby. It wasn't necessarily about staying in shape. It, that's more about the relationship. For me, it was really not falling into a, a destructive cycle with my health like I felt my mom had. So really that's where it came from. And staying in good shape has been that. And I have nine grandkids and I wanna be active with them too. So. Right. A active and attractive are two different things. Um, I, I Do you see attractive as the finish line? As long as you look in the mirror and you're happy, that's, you're doing what you need to do? Hmm. Um, I think it is about how we feel about ourselves more than how the other person feels about, uh, because we, I'm, I had a conversation the other day, like, do you think you've ever had a type? You like, you prefer blonde hair, blue eyed women or something like that. And we were talking about that. And so I, I think when you're with someone, regardless, you, that's part of it. Part of it is that they find you attractive. So maybe I'm muddling the words or in my mind, I don't have a clear path, but staying healthy and in good shape is attractive to me. So does that tie that in? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that, I don't that's, know. That's I, for you to figure out. I think people who are, and I, that doesn't mean skinny, and that doesn't mean six pack. That means when you're healthy and in good shape and you feel confident and good about yourself, that is attractive. So to me, yes, I want to stay attractive. Uh, here's something that probably a lot of people have wondered. Uh, okay. Why are you doing this podcast naked? What, what it was an, if, if you put a shirt on, how different would our interactions be? The interview wouldn't be different. I didn't start the podcast with my shirt off as the Naked Podcaster. The podcast in May of 2017, when I started, was called Rerouting. And um, it was Jen Taylor rerouting because it talks about, you know, you're going down the road and you think you're going the right way. And then your GPS is like, wait a minute, somehow you screwed it up and we're rerouting you. And I remember I was in my best friend, 
Diana and I were in the car together and it told me to turn left and I did. And it's like rerouting. And I pulled over and I was like, God, that's like everything in life is just rerouting. You think you're going the right way. And that's how the name first started. And the platform was based off my book. It was, it's shameless self-promotion. Who, what do you do if you're an entrepreneur? And then going back into the struggle and then who, what, when, where, how you got through the struggle. So the platforms never changed. What happened was one day I was doing a podcast interview. I wasn't wearing pants and Dane walked in to the room and he just kind of looked at me. And afterwards he said, you weren't wearing pants. on." I don't remember why it was hot or it was whatever. I only had a shirt on. I don't remember the reasoning, but I know we had air conditioning out a lot. So afterwards he said, you don't even need to wear pants for the, and like nobody even knows. I'm like, I could have my shirt off. I could be totally naked and nobody would know. He's like, so you'd be the naked podcaster. And that conversation was how it launched. I'm like, yes, actually I could. And it would be like, I'm asking them to bear it all, share their story of struggle. So, and I'm willing to bear it all. And it was just an accidental conversation that launched the name change, but nothing in the podcast changed. And it took me a year to do it because I was concerned about what people would think. Do you that, see it? Do you see it as gimmicky? I mean, is yeah, it, is it certainly? I mean, it's great branding, which did, isn't. I wasn't on my radar in the beginning. That wasn't why I did it. I actually searched like, are there any other people that podcast naked? Is this a thing? Um, there must be, I would guess. Yeah, there are. There are a few. Um, the biggest one is called the Naked Podcast. It's two women. I mean, their first episode, they showed up naked and it's not video, but they showed up naked and talked about how they'd never even seen each other naked. And they talk about uncomfortable things that happen in life. A lot of them revolving around sexuality. They're in London, I think. But, you know, I mean, I had to search to see if I could I even use this name. Is it even a thing? But it, it really happened accidentally. And I'm with a man who was like, Jen, that's that's true. It's you bearing it all and they're bearing it all. It's metaphorical. And, um, you know, if my feet are cold, I'm going to wear socks. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I mean, somebody asked me, I'm like, I, I am so cold right now. I have my slippers on and a pair of socks. And they're like, are you really naked? Um, and yes, then it turned out like, wow, that's great branding. It just was an evolution of a conversation that was completely, it was like an accident. And, and I, I did, I hold, I held off for a year. So I could have changed my name just a couple months after I launched my podcast and I didn't because I was afraid. So it, it kept coming up in conversation between Dane and I, and I finally said, you know, I really want to do it and I have the guts to do it. And there are other people doing it. There's like some naked science. Well, I don't even remember, but, uh, yes, it became, it is also great branding. Do you, have you ever uh, been to nude beaches, experienced exhibitionism, uh, done anything like that before? We have one in Tahoe and I've been to it, but I've never seen anyone naked. And I've never, I'm, and, and here's the other thing is that it's a nude beach that everyone's always been dressed on the, as, you know, every time I've gone. The other issue is that I have kids and clearly my, like I've said, my girls have seen me naked, that most of them are adults. The last girl, well, my t I have a 10 year old, but there's, there, I'm down to the last couple of kids. Every one of them has seen me naked. We're all similar sizes. So like um, somebody just gave us donated clothes, right? Hey, I'm going through my clothes. I thought you and the girls would want to go through them. It's our favorite thing. And so we're all in bra and panties in my room, rotating who looks better and what and trying things on. And so we're, we're very comfortable and I'm thankful for that. But on a nude beach, because in the US, that's not necessarily a mainstream thing like it is in other countries. I, one, know it would make my boys uncomfortable. So I would not do it. And I wouldn't, I mean, it would have to be an entire conversation if we went to another country and went to a nude beach like um so here's the thing you're gonna see other people and i'm there and if this isn't comfortable it's not something we can do because it's not mainstream in our country so no i'm not opposed to it but i am very um considerate of the fact that i have a large family of adult children why uh why do you think that 
I mean, I, I guess I understand the branding part of this. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think it is as from a, from an entrepreneur's point of view, I think it is brilliant branding, mm -hmm. but for somebody who has perhaps had some issues with pornography in the past or has not liked it and you, you talk about your sons and, you know, what is normal and not, um, why are you in a medium where you are, you know, clothed, not clothed? Um, I know we only see you from the shoulders up and we mm -hmm. have to assume that you, you are telling the truth. Um, but what, why, you know, if, if seeing naked people is, is a bit of an issue or, or the, the, maybe it's more the sex act, why is, why is this okay for you? Well, you're comparing the podcast to pornography. So I guess there are different levels. Like I said, there are R-rated movies that any of our kids can see once they hit 16 that are some of which I would consider softcore porn. I guess it depends on your attitude. What I'm doing is metaphorical. So I guess I could, and, and I did the Naked Podcaster. I've been the Naked Podcaster for probably over about two years. The podcast is almost three years old. So it's two years or more, but right around there. And I've always done video because I want to connect with the person, but I didn't have my I did not look naked because I wasn't using the video. Um, so I guess I don't have to. It is, like you said, it's brandy, it's gimmicky. I can't control other people's triggers any more than they can control mine. So I guess like when I contacted you and I heard about your story and I said, I'd love to interview you, but I understand if you don't want to be on my show. So for someone who, like I, I knew that pornography was an addiction because I'd read your story with other people that I don't know. They don't have to be on my show. They don't have to watch my show any more than they have to go to an already movie or watch softcore porn. Uh, I think I'm a physical representation representation of bearing it all. And you don't see anything ever. Um, and so it's, it is, it's a physical representation of the metaphor. So I, I didn't feel pornographic to me and People have to shut off things that they don't want to see. Um, probably the final question here. Do you think that you are a hypersexual person? I don't have a reference to what that means. I think it's uh, definitely possible. I don't know what it means. So, uh, Essentially that your sexuality, your interest in sex, the place it occupies in your mind, the amount of time that you devote your life towards sexual, sexual activities is higher than the average person or the average person uh, in, in your situation, your age group, your, your peer. Well, statistically, yes. I mean, you told me the statistics. Right. So going off those statistics, yes, then that would automatically make me hypersexualized. As far as how much I think about it, I mean, I never think of the naked podcaster in a sexual way. It's never crossed my mind. Yes, it's a marketing thing um, or branding. I mean, whatever you want to say. It was an act. I love the way it was born. It was an accident. It was a conversation. I had to see if it, it was very organic. And so I love that story. And I also waited a year because I was chicken. I was afraid to come out as a naked podcaster. Um, but it's not a sexual thing for me at all. It really is about the person's story. Um, other than that, the amount of time, I don't watch anything that's sexual in nature. I don't look for it. I don't search it out. So I guess the only other thing would be the amount of times I have sex and the amount I think about it. And already you said the amount of times I have. So I would say that then I'm thinking about it more because <laughs> I'm having it more. I mean, like, I think those kind of go hand right, in hand. Right. And definitely, I love my relationship. You asked me last time, we've been together for six years. Um, we have a, a good relationship on lots of fronts. And so, you know, I love being spunky or saying I'm thinking about you or I really enjoyed last night or whatever it is. Our communication sexually is as open as it is in every other way in our relationship. So I probably think about it more than the average person. So. Um, so I, I uh, I'm going to throw something out there after having, you know, two hours of conversation, actually three hours of conversation when you 
think about our first uh, time and then exchanging right. emails. Uh, I'm going to throw this out to you and you can agree, disagree, decide to ruminate on it, take it for whatever it's worth. Um, you are a very open sexual person. Sex mm -hmm. does not scare you. Uh, you've had a myriad of experiences from the absolutely horrific to the absolutely wonderful. Um, and you are mentally uh, a healthy sexual person. Uh, you're open, like you said, you've taught about it. You uh, probably are, um, you know, far more in tune with your children uh, mm -hmm. than the average person. You're clearly in tune with your own sexuality simply by the fact that you're having more of it, although I don't think that necessarily makes you hypersexual, okay. um, or at least unhealthy in a, in a hypersexual way. Uh, but I, I will tell you after talking to you three times now what I think, I think that you feel as an open sexual person that you should um, be more open to pornography, but you're not. I think that you genuinely, oh. I think you genuinely dislike it. You genuinely, you know, you, in some of the terms you've used, like, you know, telling your child this isn't normal. Well, right. what, what is normal? I mean, okay. I, I, maybe, maybe they were watching, you know, geese have sex with horses. I, I don't, I don't know. It, it uh, was a um, little abnormal. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay. but, but, but there are different lifestyles as long as you're mm -hmm. a, a consenting adult, you know. Mm -hmm one person's making love is another person's peeing on them, you know, and, yeah. and no, no, no judgment. Right, um, okay. Okay. I, I, I think that you pride yourself on being an openly sexual person. Uh, not, not, not uh, dysfunctionally. So not in your face, but a evolved uh, uh, somewhat transcendent when it comes to a lot of people's taboos, mm -hmm. your ability to openly talk about so many subjects here. But again, I think that you feel that you should have a quote unquote healthier or more open attitude towards pornography and you actually very much dislike it. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to admit how much you dislike it because it somehow pokes part of the balloon of being openly sexual because okay. you have you have somehow defined that people who are openly sexual that a kind of healthy sexual that you strive to be includes right. an openness towards pornography that you simply don't have i mean you know you always you're catching me on camera like the first time my my reaction to that right you could be a hundred percent spot on, and I don't think that you're not. Well, there, there's, there's no blood test for it. So no, yeah. <laughs> damn. Um, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I'd probably ruminate on that, but that could be a hundred percent accurate. I, I mean, I'm not gonna deny that that's not a hundred percent accurate. I don't know. I have to feel that out, but it also doesn't make me unhappy if that's a hundred percent accurate. And as a matter of fact, or should it? No. Um, if that's the case, then I, wouldn't I just be able to be like, yeah, now I can let that go. Right now I can just admit that I can't I, stand I, it. I, I, guess I mean, I don't see. know. I guess you'll <laughs> see. I, I mean, I really love that. That's what you've come down to. Not, not because it's right or wrong, but because it's very fascinating and yeah, it gives me something to think about. And that's, and that's, you know, and to, to segue into what I do, yes. that over the last couple hours, that's kind of what I try to do is to talk about these different aspects of your life, bringing back pornography as a topic again and again, but exploring these different spokes, whether it be your uh, introduction to it, whether it be mm -hmm. your experiences, whether it be raising your children where, or, or where you are now, and trying to find some trends, trying to find some uh, evolutions, and uh, just what ultimately uh, we can walk away from. Um, now, obviously, this is a little different with you because you're not coming up to me and saying, you know, my partner is a is a pornography addict. What do mm -hmm. I do? You're not coming to me and saying I am a pornography addict. What do mm -hmm. I do? And that is mainly what I deal with. But I think that this process should show somebody who is watching, yep. who hopefully it was enlightening. Um, it was, you know, and even even quasi entertaining. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> 
because you're not you're not you're not going to get this on Dr. Phil. Um, <laughs> I uh, I hope that people see that this, and I think for you it was probably uh, not not as completely enlightening as it is for somebody who is very raw, very fresh in it. But I could see several times in you when you were about to give an answer, you paused and had to think and and had to stop for a moment and as, as it was with your last answer you know you ask a lot you you answer a lot of questions by asking questions mm -hmm. about your be about your behavior you know um which i think is good i think that you've got to constantly ask questions about your own behavior why you're doing things and that's been one of the biggest parts of my recovery is understanding okay. my motivations and and i think that's important for everybody so i think it's you know it's great that you do that um and you know like i said you can take or leave my conclusion if when i work with people i usually have uh if it's on email the average email exchange is usually probably about 10, 12. If I do this with people, it's anywhere from three to six, how many times we talk. Mm -hmm. um, because like I said, with very acute in the moment problems, people are talking about what's happening today. There's not as yes. much, there, there's, it takes a bit longer to uh, tease out the history and figuring out what's, what's going on there. But I hope that, you know, the people who watched, I hope that you, uh, got something out of this, even if it was just a trip down memory lane, even if it was just looking at, you know, understanding some of those connections and seeing how who you are does change over time and it doesn't mm -hmm. change over time, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And uh, like I said, with, with my conclusion, I that's that's what I've come out of it as take it or leave it. I hope you'll drop me an email in a few weeks and yes. let, let me know, you know, because I, I think this is one of those things that you're going to go over in your mind. Yes. I, I do look forward to uh, re-watching this actually and finding myself, I'll probably be Monday morning quarterbacking saying you should have asked this or you should have, <laughs> you know, you should have done that. So this will actually be a very good tool for me because I don't record any sessions right. that I do with people. Well, um, what's great for me, Josh, is that I read the book and realized that I had triggers, which I didn't realize before, even though I'm not in the moment. I looked at my right. past and I was very introspective about why and what could I do differently and where am I coming from in this? And it, it made me uncomfortable and made me want to ask questions. And I'm thankful that you were willing to do it, even though my situation was different, because the more we know about ourselves, you know, the better off we are. And I think because this won't come out right away, um, that email to you will be part of the show notes. Yeah. So what, what is my answer? I don't know right now on the spot, but I'm not opposed to anything, but I, I'm very thankful that you were willing to do this. I think it was incredibly enlightening. And had I been going through it at the moment, it would have been, I can't even imagine the difference it would have made to me in the heat of that moment to have somebody coaching and talking to me. So I thank you. Yeah, well, and, and thank you for be willing to do this. A lot of this, this process scares a lot of people. And I hope that people understand you don't have to necessarily talk to me. Uh, if you have a decent therapist, you're yeah. going to find somebody who I hope I didn't come across as too judgy. I hope I didn't, you know, I, I created a bit of a safe space. You know, I know there are times where I, I will put, and I didn't push that hard with you, but there were times where, you know, you need to push a little bit, challenge people and, and get them to think about their beliefs or even defend their beliefs because uh, right. sometimes people realize they don't believe what they think they believe. Um, they believe what they believe they're supposed to believe. Right. Uh, um, so, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, for people out there who have been watching this, I hope that they get the message that uh, ultimately it's okay to change your mind. Ultimately, mm -hmm. only you know who you are. And there is, like I said a few minutes ago, there is no blood test for this. Uh, you can go through life, you know, one of the uh, great uh, sayings of the 12-step groups is, you know, we are the stories we tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, nobody gaslights a gaslighter better than themselves. Um, and, you know, breaking through these, these issues is important. And that's why I, I believe everybody on earth should 
seek therapy at some point. Yeah. Because to get somebody objective in your life who, you know, is rooting for you, wants you to do well, but isn't there in the morning, isn't there at holidays. Yeah. Uh, if you walk away from them, they're not going to feel a giant emotional tug that you're not in their life. Uh, having somebody like that who also is an expert in mental health and in human behavior is absolutely fantastic. And, uh, you know, I hope that people mm -hmm. who watch this understand a little, who have never been to a therapist or sought counseling, you know, can see a little bit about what this process is. It's, it's really a lot of me listening and throwing out a couple questions here and there to get you to sort of ramble because sometimes in a one hour session, you ramble for 40 minutes and then you come upon, upon that great thing in minute 41 that made the entire session worthwhile. So yeah. again, thank you for participating. I think that we're probably going to help a lot more people than either of us realize, even if yeah. it's not with pornography or sexuality, but just a fear of therapy or fear of counseling. Well, um, yeah, that'd that, be great. It's, a, it's, a, it's an open conversation. Um, it only works if you are honest. Mm -hmm. um, and or as honest as you you can be um right so you know w w once again you know this is this is fantastic thank you for doing this with me thank you for giving me the opportunity and and i uh i, I hope you will stay in touch i hope you will yeah. you know let me know about any uh aha moments or ruminations that you have with this definitely awesome thank you